Hello and welcome to another edition of Fides Podcast. My name is Jerry Serino and I'm your host and I'm here with talent on loan from Rush. So the border is a big topic today. Uh, I've had a, a number of episodes on the border and the border crisis. It has been a crisis for a long time now. And um, there's a lot of misinformation that's put out there by, unfortunately, by the mainstream media and by the left in this country. And if you, if and when you know the facts, we, we all should be on the same page in this issue. My guest today is Rodney Scott. Rodney is a retired chief border patrol agent. Rodney, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thank you, Jerry. I appreciate the opportunity uh, to share some info with your listeners. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I've watched the number of interviews that you've done over the, you know, the last handful of years or so, and, and they're really, really informative. And I, I'll be honest, I love the way uh, you respond and you and you engage with the media. Um, it's you don't come across as a political partisan. You're just stating the facts. And I and that's what I'm excited about my listeners, regardless of where you stand on on immigration, illegal immigration, the border. You know, you're a great source of that information because you're you come across as just, hey, look, I'm just telling you what's going on. So I'd love to know the breadth and depth of your background, your career and where it where you started and and what you're doing today. Well, thank you for that lead in. I think that's that's a great place to start because there's a lot of inf- misinformation even about, you know, my position as chief of the Border Patrol. Uh, if you read mainstream media, um, I spent 29 plus, almost 30 years in the United States Border Patrol as an agent coming up through the ranks. The chief of the U.S. Border Patrol is what we refer to as a career position. It is not a political appointee. Uh, so you come up through the ranks, uh, you get promoted, and then ultimately someone, uh, the commissioner who is politically appointed, uh, selects the, the chief. Uh, but there's a lot of information out there, like currently, that it's the Border Patrol is some kind of a partisan organization. And that is just not true. I started my career out in San Diego in the 90s, uh, was when uh, 94 is when Gatekeeper kicked off. Uh, people remember the Clinton administration decided to crack down on the border because it was so out of control. And I've been part of pretty much every strategy and initiative the Border Patrol's done since that point, uh, constantly refining our, our strategy and locking down border security. And I just kind of really want everybody to know that we were getting better and better at it. Um, the last administration obviously supported it. Uh, uh, significantly, um, but we were getting better incrementally even prior to that. Just we made a lot of progress in in the last administration, and all of that really came to a grinding halt on January twentieth, unfortunately. So you ultimately you, you remained the the border patrol chief under Biden, and then eventually you parted ways. Or, or explain you know exactly what happened and what what transpired. Sure. So uh, as, as mentioned, I came up through the ranks. I was selected while Trump was president uh, as the chief of the U.S. Border Patrol. Uh, the prior chief uh, had retired um, and on a competitive process, I was selected as the, as the new chief. Um, at that level, it's called a senior executive service position. Uh, so you can be moved around at the will uh, of the leadership. Um, anyway, once a new administration took over, uh, I don't think it's in a, any secret. We we uh, bumped heads a little bit on a few issues. Uh, they were trying to push some political agendas on the Border Patrol, and I have adamantly pushed my entire career that law enforcement should not be a partisan uh, issue. The facts, the facts, the law is the law. Uh, and then ultimately, they elected to reassign me to a different position. And instead of taking that assignment, I went ahead and retired. I've been eligible for a while. 
Uh, and really, I decided at that point in time, talking to my wife, it was more important to make sure America knew what was really going on uh, and to be able to continue to have a voice. Uh, I don't know if anybody noticed, but DHS shut down all internal or this administration shut down pretty much all DHS voices after January 20th. Uh, no one's really allowed to speak out unless they're reading a script uh, from the administration. I couldn't read those scripts because a lot of times I did not believe they were accurate. Uh, so I elected to retire. Well, good for you. I mean, I, I think that's a, that could be a tough thing for a lot of people to do, but you took a stand and, and all you were looking to do was be honest and do the job that the law requires, right? You weren't taking law into your own hands. You were looking at enforcing the law as it should be enforced. So I, I think that's great. Um, so uh, go ahead. You want to add to that? No, I just, I appreciate that because the law is enacted by Congress. Again, a lot of people uh, throw darts at, uh, at immigration officials, border security, border patrol is much broader than immigration, but we're just enforcing, they out there every day are just enforcing the laws enacted by Congress. And if anybody doesn't agree with those laws, we can, we can elect different people and then we can change those laws. Uh, but they're still on the books today and they should be enforced. Yep, they should. And, they, and they, they're obviously on the books because they're necessary. And so let's talk about a number of the reasons why enforcing our borders is so important. We're obviously perfectly fine. All of us are with legal immigration, follow the process and, and go from there. Uh, but illegal immigration is a problem. So tell me about your experience and what you know about the amount of drugs and human trafficking coming over the borders. Yeah, and I thank you for kind of tying those together. I'm, I'm going to step back even a little bit farther. I, I've realized that a lot of times we have a conversation and those of us that actually watch the problem or that are very ingrained in the border security um, forget that a lot of people away from the border are not. There's just it's it's a it's a it's a very distant issue or they think it is because it really isn't. The border, first and foremost, is just a transit area. Nothing stays at the border. Everything that's crossing that border is going to a city, a town or a state near you. If you're listening, the border and what crosses that border affects you. But it's such a huge issue. It's kind of hard to get people's head wrapped around it. So I use a simple analogy. Border security is exactly like your home. You expect people to come to your front door, announce themselves, and then you make a decision about who and what comes into your home based on the risk that you're willing to take, based on the circumstances. The only difference is at a national level, our front doors are the ports of entry. It's 328 official ports of entry or official front doors. That's where everyone is supposed to come and leave the, the country, even if you're a U.S. citizen. Uh, Congress is the one that actually does the threat assessment. We just apply that. But anybody that's trying to cross the border outside those ports of entry, regardless of nationality, and there were over 150 different nationalities crossing the southwest border last year illegally, that's the equivalent of trying to sneak into your home without going through the front door. So it's not, it's not xenophobic. It's not racist. It's just pure law and order and control. Every country has, has these types of processes. Systematically, the cartel has learned how to use massive volume of people to shape the border environment, unfortunately, to their advantage. So when a lot of people are seeing the illegal immigration issue today, and regardless, again, like what your opinion on immigration is, border security is established to help support and keep in place legal immigration so that we can manage it, we know what's going on. When you have massive volumes of people crossing the border, that overwhelms law enforcement and specifically border patrol resources. The cartel has learned how to use that to their advantage 
and what's going on in South Texas today. Even in Yuma, I was talking to some guys yesterday, over 4,000 people were arrested in Yuma just over the weekend. It ex completely exhausted their resources. So what did that do? That allowed the cartel to bring narcotics, criminal aliens, and potential terrorists through those gaping holes across the border. So again, regardless of what your, your thought process is on economic illegal immigration or illegal immigration in general, you can't separate it. If you support and allow it to continue, then every fentanyl death that happens in, the, in your neighborhood or anywhere that, uh, near you, that's the same that's the same cause so potentially if you support open borders then you support those deaths and that i hate to say it but that blood's kind of on your hands if you will um, too many people try to separate these and compartmentalize them and you literally you just can't they're all tied together the cartel controls everything that crosses that southwest border so it, and again if i really and I'll, I'll be quiet everybody needs to understand nothing stays at the border that's a transit location where we get a bird's eye view of what's going on, but then that stuff disappears into the United States, whether it be the criminal alien, whether it be the economic migrant, whether it be the fentanyl, the cocaine, the heroin, that is going to a city and a town near you. Yeah, and, and, and I hear so many people say, whether in the media or in the left in general, they say, well, you know, these illegals, you know, the vast majority are good people. And look, I'm, I'd like to see the best in people, and I don't doubt that, but we don't know that. And the only way we know who they are, as you gave the analogy of the front door, is someone knocks at your door, announces them, and you make that decision. We have a legal immigration process that allows us to be able to say, yes, this is a good person. No, this isn't. And that's why we have it. So getting into a, a lot of this and these issues, especially the rhetoric that we hear out there, a lot of they they play on I think people's hearts as far as uh, children and women and children and things like that. And I've always asked this question when when these migrants come over and they they're with their children. How how do you at the border prove that the children I'm bringing are mine, especially when they're coming from countries in which documentation and things like that aren't always very good. That, again, thank you for bringing that up. It's a critical issue. I'll be uh, completely frank with your audience and just think about this from a, from a time and space type of an issue of, of, of how much time you have. So how do we tell? There's several different ways, but the most telling is that you interview them, you ask them questions about where they're from, and it's basic police techniques or, or investigative techniques. But that requires time. If there's any suspicion whatsoever, we can do rapid DNA testing, but that is a limited capability and it takes well over an hour to get the results back. When you're arresting over 6,000 people in a single day sometimes, or what's happening in South Texas right now, individual groups in remote areas uh, or late at night of hundreds of people at a time, you don't, you don't have that kind of time. You're literally doing the best that you can. Um, currently, uh, a huge flaw in the system is that individuals, children under 14 are not systematically fingerprinted or photographed. Uh, so we have been able to identify almost by accident, a child recycling. But the only way we were able to do that is a really, really alert agent recognized a kid as coming through before with a different family, separated them, started doing interviews. We don't, when you arrest thousands of people coming across at the same time, you just can't do it. So, so again, anything that kind of supports and encourages this mass illegal immigration, you're putting children at risk. Uh, one of the ways that everybody knows you get released right now is family, we don't have family detention. 
so the families are primarily getting getting released into the U.S. It doesn't take the cartels long to sell that as a marketing technique and then find a child that, that they're willing to team up with a family. Um, and then the last note on this, this isn't always right at the border either. Uh, we found a, a network that was actually recycling children or selling children to create families. And they were teaming up the child with a new family, if you will, a fake family in Honduras and Guatemala and making them make the entire trek through Mexico over and over and over again so that by the time they got to the border, they would be more comfortable with their fake parents. Think about that. You know, we talk about human trafficking in, in, in different ways, but that is human trafficking in and of itself. And that, that's just a horrible life to, to push on one of these kids because we refuse to enforce the laws we have in place currently. By the way, the, it, the, the migrant protection protocols that remain in Mexico program basically ended all that because it took away the prize that getting released into the U.S. before a judge heard your case. It made sure there was due process in place, but we didn't allow people in the U.S. until after an immigration judge has made a decision. Um, and then when the Biden administration terminated that, that's why you saw this massive number of family units coming back to the border again. Yeah, yeah, really great point and great information. A lot of people, and I, I feel like sometimes this has become so political, and it should not be political. It shouldn't be political. This is really common sense here, and we're trying to not only protect our country and our our citizens, but also people who want to come here and children as well who are being used and abused, uh, including being literally physically and sexually abused, including women on their way here because they're so helpless. Uh, and that is, uh, that is really, really sad uh, that it's occurring. So I, I want to ask you just from a, a technical standpoint. So when you're interviewing these kids and you're trying to verify and, and fingerprinting and the like, why do we even need to do that if they enter illegally? Meaning if they're not applying for entry through the port of entry, through the legal process, why do we even bother? Shouldn't we or were we just simply saying you're caught, you're going back? Yeah, if, if not only that simple, but there is a, a catch-22, if you will, here. Uh, so every law enforcement officer in the United States, especially at the federal level, uh, takes an oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. Our Constitution clearly establishes uh, basically an innocent until proven guilty concept. And, and it's not uh, it's not citizen specific. So the minute that someone touches a foot on U.S. soil, they have all the protections of the of the Constitution um, under Title 40. There's very, very limited exceptions. So right now under Title 42, which is a health and human services uh, authority that they've asked support from Customs and Border Protection, U.S. Border Patrol with to protect the country from serious disease infections. Uh, we can basically just turn people around at the border, but it's it's very, very tight, tight uh, restrictions, if you will. It, it's basically an exception um, that is taking place. It's less and less all the time, uh, but quite a few of the people because of COVID currently, I'm sorry, I should have caveat that uh, because of COVID, we're, we're implementing Title 42. Uh, but this administration's reduced that to basically single adults only. Um, anyone else that comes in and, and even even them, even under Title 42, if someone positively declares that they fear being tortured if they return to another country, you know, we'll carve them out and we'll make sure that they get to talk to asylum officer. There, there's, there's all kinds of protections because we're a country of laws and we're a country that's very, very compassionate and has had a very uh, 
positive focus on immigration. I mean, our entire country is based on immigrants from somewhere, right? But you hit the nail on the head. It's a difference between legal and illegal. And the more you carve out all these exceptions where people can get released into the U.S. and then just disappear, that it becomes a draw and it just pulls more and more people over and you actually end up hurting more people than you help. And I think that's the thing that that some of the, the non-governmental organizations and, and, and some of the organizations that push this compassionate message kind of preach, but they forget about the fact that that one person that they're trying to help get into the U.S. by violating law or by fraud is really creating this pipeline where they're hurting thousands, if not millions more. And if they really, really wanted to help these people, a dollar goes a lot farther in their home country than it goes here. And some of these people really could make a positive difference in their own countries to make them more open and free society. But when you're talking about the Northern Triangle countries, these these are poor countries, but they're not repressive governments. You have freedom of religion, you have freedom of speech. And I think a lot of that gets gets kind of missed in the dialogue too. They make it act like these people are coming from you know, uh, very, very tightly controlled places in Pakistan or, or the old Soviet Union or something like that. And that's not the case. Well, everyone wants to come here and, and it's a better life for, for most people in most countries. That's not the same thing as asylum, right? I mean, you, you know, I, I think people from Chicago want to get out of Chicago and they, they're probably better off in Honduras than in Chicago nowadays. So maybe they can uh, apply for asylum in Honduras or Haiti or something. I wanted I wanted to get your take and your thoughts and and I asked your your friend Mark Morgan when he was on my show and we talked about this as well is about the whole kids in cages and he you know he talked about it and explained it and I you know I knew it I knew that you know the reality of the cages so to speak you know explain to people who say hey I'm for border enforcement but I'm not for kids in cages I can't I can't stand that explain what was going on, what people were seeing when they saw cages and the like, and, and from your perspective. Yeah, so that that's a good uh, lead in, if you will, to the power of a, of a message, even if it's wrong, or putting into something into context. So the term cages um, was actually coined by a couple of uh, far left reporters to make a political point. And they had seen the, the enclosures before, they had seen our detention facilities before, um, but they were just trying to make a political point. And unfortunately, um, it kind of stuck. But let me ask your audience, everybody out there, this. So we're talking about unaccompanied juveniles. So just make sure that we understand that you're talking about kids. You're talking about uh, kids that the United States Border Patrol found uh, along the, the border, whether it be along the Rio Grande River or remote areas uh, along the southwest border in Arizona, and other locations. There is no adult guardian to hand that kid off to. So by law, at the federal level, there's uh, the Health and Human Services is the equivalent of the Child Protective Services of, of like a state or local. By law, U.S. Border Patrol is not allowed to give those children to Child Protective Services of a state. They have to give them to Health and Human Services. When Health and Human Services is overwhelmed or, or just can't otherwise or doesn't uh, come pick those children up, um, what do you want us to do with them? So the facilities you see, even the new soft sided facilities with, with now plexiglass sheeting or vinyl, clear vinyl sheeting instead of chain link fence, that is a way that we try to do our best to provide shelter, food and protection. And don't forget from each other. We caught people from 150 different countries coming across the southwest border last year. 
And whatever you're picturing in your mind right now, when you think of a, of a juvenile migrant or an underage kid coming across the border by himself, we caught that, but we also caught the other extreme. We caught kids that are just like your kid next door that are pretty innocent and sheltered. And we caught gangbangers tattooed from head to toe that were 13 or 14 and that had actually factually killed multiple people before coming to the border. By legal definition, they're all unaccompanied minors and we kind of we have to keep them away from adults. So we have to be able to keep an eye on them. We have to be able to listen and try to protect them from each other. And we did the best we could. Originally, it was chain link fencing. I would argue that was still a much better solution because you, it allows the agents to hear what's going on and not just see it. Now, because of all the overreaction and the terminology of the cage, uh, the new soft-sided facilities that we've had to set up, they'd use like that clear plexiglass or the, the clear vinyl sheeting. But unfortunately, you can't hear through that as well. So we've had to dramatically increase cameras. We've had to increase staffing levels um, because basically just think like of a schoolyard. You have bullies in there. You have kids that will team up on other kids and you have super shy kids. And just trying to trying to control that it is very, very challenging. But nobody is trying to put a kid in a cage, if you will. Um, these are compassionate agents. They bring in toys uh, from their home. They're bringing in food for them. But when you're catching 600 kids by themselves crossing the border at night through a small section of border, it's just overwhelming and you can't release them onto the streets, nor would I want to. So I'll take the negative publicity all day as long as I know I'm keeping them safe. Yeah. And what's, what's crazy is then because of the politics, the kids are less safe because of the plexiglass versus fence, you know, just for the, from the image perspective. So, you know, this is why I, I get so frustrated when people play politics because someone's always hurt hurt by it so the other real catch here too is the kids are at more danger today than they were a year ago uh, because this administration has restricted ice immigration and and, uh, enforcement from talking to hhs or interviewing sponsors so what a sponsor is basically the the person that the child is ultimately released to here in the united states because the biden administration decided no kid under under 18 is going to be deported back to their home country other than mexico that's another story um, but anyway, trying to vet who these people go to and make sure that they're not being returned to a smuggler or a human trafficker is a big challenge. Uh, but this administration restricted ICE from actually interacting and, and helping vet those sponsors in the name of you know, a more humane immigration policy. But in the reality is it's the opposite. The kids are in more danger today than ever before because we simply have less knowledge about who they're being released to. Yeah, that's really sad to me. Really, really sad to me. Uh, so a couple other things uh, that we could, if you don't mind, if we could finish on is uh, is a couple things that have been uh, actually one one issue that was that was in the news uh, maybe three years ago and then one that was a little bit more recent. And that was in one case, the Border Patrol had to use tear gas uh, on on illegals that were throwing rocks and, and unruly and the like. And uh, also we had recently, I want to say it was a few months ago, that picture of a, a Border Patrol agent on a horse and he was holding the reins of a horse and it looked like a whip. And then all of a sudden it just went viral and everyone said, we're whipping people and so on. Tell us the truth about both of those, the tear gassing and then the, the horse reins or the, the so-called whip and what really went on in both of those cases. Again, very, very good follow through because it's a lot like the cages. 
it's it's other people adding a story to a photograph that's not necessarily accurate and then that just gets legs and takes off so I was actually the chief patrol agent in San Diego for the caravans in, in, in the 18 um, and going into 19 a little bit. Um, that's the tear gassing incident, I believe, that, that you're talking about there. And what happened that day was that there was about 1,500 individuals. Ultimately, the investigation revealed later it wasn't all potential illegal aliens. Some of it was gangbangers from Tijuana and some of it was actually Antifa members that, that rushed the border. Uh, San Ysidro ended up getting shut down, and then they tried to do a mass incursion into the U.S. Well, some of those individuals started assaulting Border Patrol agents with rocks. Uh, Agents were hit and actually pelted with rocks for for quite a few minutes before they ever responded uh, with tear gas. And with uh, less lethal, we call it CS gas. But but, um, anyway, long story short is we did respond. Border Patrol stepped up. They, they secured the area. They defended themselves. Um, and what's left out of that story, too, is we worked with Mexican authorities for days after that event because it was a pretty good clash. It was about three hours over a, a little over a mile. It wasn't just one small area. It, it was a riot for, for about three hours. And we were unable to find anybody that was seriously injured. A Border Patrol agent got injured with a rock. Uh, basically, a couple guys got hit, but they had protective equipment on. They didn't get hurt seriously. One section of border fence, the legacy border wall, was actually ripped down. Uh, we were able to fix that, but uh, but there were no serious injuries and the border was secure. I call that a win. The, the incident in Del Rio is a little bit similar. Uh, the border patrol agents are trying to control. They're watching people illegally enter back and forth across the border. Uh, you don't necessarily, especially when you're there and you're dealing with, I think at that time, it was about 15,000 people in a very small area under a bridge. You don't necessarily know who a smuggler is or who an economic migrant is. You don't know who's nice, who's not nice. Those Border Patrol agents were assigned to prevent the illegal entry of people across that river. Uh, more people were trying to cross. They ignored the uh, the commands of the Border Patrol agents. And then we have horse patrol. They, they happen to be on horses. And they moved back and forth and shifted back and forth to try to prevent the illegal entry. Uh, you'll notice there was a lot of rhetoric initially about an investigation of holding people accountable and all this. You haven't heard anything out of that since then, because as I said that day and after I watched the full video, because I always want to know the whole truth, um, those agents didn't do anything wrong. Even the photographer, once the, some other people added a story, the photographer came out and said, yeah, that's not what happened. I didn't see anybody getting whipped. No one got hit. That's not at all what happened. But you saw how the message took off all the way to the White House. They went with that storyline and message before they basically gave the agents the same courtesy we give illegal aliens, which is called due process. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. That's a, that's a great point. We give illegals due process, but uh, the, even the president can't give his own his own border patrol agents the uh, the benefit of the, of the doubt uh, over something that uh, ultimately ends up ended up being nothing, nothing to be concerned about the agent was doing their job. You know, last question before we end, uh, do you think this is all intentional? Is it, is there a desire by the left, by the media to have as many illegals in the country as possible? So that's where, that's where we get into the politics a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I've been asked that question a million times, uh, just Total transparency. Our mutual friend, uh, Mark Morgan, gives me a hard time for not answering this question because I do have my own personal opinion. 
but I really want to speak on behalf of in my position as U.S. Border Patrol chief in my experience. And I think American public should just really look at the situation and see who would benefit, who wouldn't benefit and fill in the answers for themselves. So I'm going to stay out of the why. But this is what I will tell you. The, 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 the secretary for Homeland Security, uh, Mr. Mayorkas, has been around. He's been in DHS before. He was the acting deputy commissioner or deputy secretary for a while. He knows what it takes to control the border. He knows what it takes uh, to actually secure the border. He also knows the damage that causes to this nation to have an open border. But yet he continues to make and support decisions that are basically creating an open, lawless border. And there's no way you can argue against that. Just see what's going on every single day. Why? I don't know. But the fact is they're creating a situation on the southwest border that's putting all Americans at risk. I would ask them why. No, that's a great response. No, I, I appreciate that. And Mark didn't ask me to ask you that question, just in case you're wondering. Uh, that was my own, my own question. But but it's a it's an understandable question for people to ask you. And I, but I do like your answer. Um, I, I think you can answer it exactly how you did. And, you know, let people make up their own mind and hopefully they they make it up properly. So, you know, this has been really fantastic, really informative and really helpful. Uh, you know, how can people connect with you and, and get in contact with you or follow you? Because obviously it, you're you're what are you doing now, by the way? I I, I meant to ask that earlier on, um, you know, share a little bit of that. So I, I, I signed on as a uh, senior distinguished fellow with Texas Public Policy Foundation. It's a nonpartisan organization. Um, border security is actually a big issue in Texas. Texas public policy is much broader than that. Um, and you can contact me through through Texas public policy. Um, I, I've spoken at a few different events and they, they help coordinate with that. I chose them, though, honestly, because it's nonpartisan. And even though they advocate for conservative values and border security, um, I don't think border security and law enforcement, law and order in general should be a partisan issue. Um, I really encourage all your listeners to, to do exactly kind of what we're doing here. Just dig in a little bit more and ask yourself why. I, I think you'll come up, your listeners will come up with some pretty legitimate reasons that aren't conspiracy theories, if you will, right? There, there's, I, can't, I can't think of a legitimate reason you would want open borders. Um, but the more people actually learn and find out and then kind of stay out of the far left, far right, just you know, political grandstanding, if you will. Just look at it from a common sense perspective. Isn't it okay to ask people to come through your front door? So it should be okay for the nation to ask people to come through our front door too. It's about that simple. Yeah, I completely agree. Completely agree. Well, uh, Rodney Scott, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate uh, you being on and answering these questions and, and educating all of us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Yeah, my pleasure. And thank all of you for listening to this episode of Fides Podcast with Rodney Scott. Uh, retired chief border patrol agent for the United States. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, please listen to all my podcasts and all the different podcast apps, YouTube, Rumble, and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern on rightamericamedia.com. So thanks again, and we'll see you next time.
No. 